I'm Heather Roberts here with Dr. Ann Toledo, who is a family medicine uh, physician with Kaiser Permanente Northwest, also the chief of urgent care here in our region. Dr. Toledo, thanks for taking the time to talk with us and happy Earth Day. Yes, happy Earth Day to you. Thanks for having me. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, since we have Earth Day this week, the impact of the world around us on our health. And and I think of my personal health as being influenced by my nutrition and exercise, but there's a lot more to it than that. Help me understand. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, I think a lot of people, depending on where you're from in the country, think about their day-to-day health exactly as you said. They think about the health problems they've talked with their doctor about um, or what they do to prevent themselves from getting sick. But what a lot of people aren't thinking about is how where they live and the weather around them or the amount of rain or dryness around them affects their health. So let's just take the most obvious example. I think some of the listeners are from the Central Oregon region, so they will be very familiar with fires. So extreme weather events are a well-known version of how the earth is changing, right? That is a part of climate change. And there are both direct and indirect ways that any part of the climate affects people and their health. So to take an extreme event, like a wildfire, there's the very direct, which is you could die in a fire or be severely burned or injured. That's extremely direct. You could inhale smoke and get bronchitis or have to be in the hospital. And what people may not be thinking of is the indirect effect. So what if the fire interrupts a road or a bridge and you can't get to your medicines or your medical equipment and that causes you to become sick? Or what if other people are having injuries or burns from fire and the emergency room is so full that you have a long wait to be seen for a different health condition? Similarly, it's extremely stressful psychologically for people when there is displacement or property loss. We think a lot about that mental health impact when we deal with wildfire season, especially when they tell us you can't go outside, close your windows, you know, stay inside. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, we, we experienced that prolonged uh, experience of that during COVID, that, that prolonged isolation, but we also deal with it during wildfire season and actual, you know, other weather, snowstorms, you know, rainstorms when you can't go out and see people. And I think it's hard to remember that that impacts us on a almost a chronic level. Yes, that is such a good point. I think, as you just said, a well-known disaster, COVID, perfectly illustrates what climate disasters also cause, which is both a flare in the intensity and duration of symptoms of mental health, like anxiety, depression, trauma, And that also highlights another important part of climate and health, which is that climate change affects everyone. None of us can escape it, but it doesn't affect everyone equally. So some groups of people are much more vulnerable to the effects of climate change than others. And people who already have a history of anxiety or depression or trauma are all the more at risk when you have isolating events. And so you actually hit the nail right on the head. I don't know if you meant to or not, but uh, a huge part of public health I always mean to. Yeah, I always mean to. Exactly. Totally on purpose. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so a huge part of public health efforts are what we call uh, climate change and health resiliency. So what are the community and social networks a person has as supports, not only in the moment of crisis, but recovering from that? 
there were a lot of studies done during COVID and, and after COVID, and they actually showed that the, the impacts of climate change, that mental health impact is really disproportionately impacting young people. They, they mm. internalize it and they're, they're stressed over it and recognizing that we are leaving mm-hmm. our next generation, a, a world not in great condition. Mm-hmm. What can we do about that, especially as parents and grandparents? How do we help our young people address that? Well, you know, I think one of the things that is very helpful beside obviously, you know, providing supports and level setting in the moment that I think sometimes if you're talking about young people or a person who's in a mental health uh, crisis state, in the moment reassurance is obviously critical and reality checking, right, of saying right now you are safe, you are cared for, you have community And, you know, I think the good news is there are so many ways people can get involved and take meaningful hope generating action. Um, You know, I just recently learned this term. I didn't know it existed, but apparently there is a term for what you are describing, which is called eco distress, this sort of global gestalt and anxiety around climate and one's future related to that. Um, But, you know, I think more importantly, let's talk about ways that both communities and on a larger scale states are trying to impact this because young people, people of any age can get involved in that. And similarly, other vulnerable populations like the very elderly, um, parents of the very young, um, communities of color, lower socioeconomic status communities who are gonna be more heavily impacted and are higher risk, um, they can learn and get involved. And so I think you know, one thing to keep in mind is probably what you and others think of when you think about climate change efforts is the big bad, which is greenhouse gas. How are we going to lower greenhouse gas and make the world less hot and the water less acidic, right? So that is definitely important. And I find sometimes when I'm talking to people about climate or those efforts, they feel so big. (laughs) They feel so big, it gets overwhelming. And then unless someone's really committed, they kind of check out and say, not my bag. And so the good news is there are actually very local, relevant ways people can do the other two categories of responding to climate change, which are modulation and adaptation. Uh, So is it okay if I just briefly summarize what that looks like? Yes, explain that for me. Yeah. So modulation has to do with looking at, okay, what are the things for you individually or your community that are going to make climate change issues worse? So pre-existing health status. If you're someone who suffers from asthma or COPD or you have heart disease, making sure that you're working with your medical team on getting you well controlled in those areas so you're safer and less at risk in the case of poor air quality or extreme heat, right? That's modulation uh, on the public health side and the healthcare system side. We have to make sure we have good systems for urgent and emergent care to get people in in the event of emergency. So that's modulating. And then adaptation is something anyone can do. In fact, you know, although this Earth Day, it has been a very long, cold and wet arrival of spring and no one is thinking about heat related illness right now. That means this is also the perfect time to buy air filters for your home because they should be in stock uh, in advance. And so I think adaptation is how are you going to protect you and your family in the event of local environmental problems like 
How are you going to make sure you have access to clean drinking water if a local water source is contaminated with algae from hot temperatures? How are you going to make sure your air is filtered? Things like that that you can do to adapt. And that is also what public health systems have really moved toward planning for. It sounds like instead of getting wrapped up in that bigness mm -hmm. of yeah. climate change is such a big issue, I alone can't fix it. Instead, mm -hmm. taking charge and saying, I can talk to my doctor and make sure I've got yeah. a plan in place. And there are things I can do around my own home to not only improve my own health potentially, but also, you know, there are things we can do on that local level to help try and mitigate climate change, even if it's just a small, you know, that that one drop in the bucket, but you get enough of those and you've you've made it. Yeah. I love and what I'm you like, said about oh, that take hope generating action. And that's yeah. what I think that's something we can all remember is what can we do that will at least help us, even if it's just a small step in yeah. the right direction that just helps us feel like we're doing something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, to take the example of someone who may be feeling a lot of anxiety about this, um, or who experienced displacement a prior year or something, right? Um, you could do something as simple as checking in with your neighbors about who has medications that need refrigeration in case there's power outage from fires, right? Who has medical equipment like a CPAP breathing machine that requires electricity, right? And creating those networks amongst your community within a couple block radius of yourself having relationships with your neighbors, that is climate change adaptation. And that also is building that social network, right? So it can be something as simple as that. Okay, Dr. Antolito, we are out of time and I apologize. I know this is just like we said, this is a big issue and there is a lot we could really discuss on this more, but I appreciate your expertise. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again. Happy Earth Day, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to FM News 100.1 and 1110 KBND.